Facebook's gift to bicycle thieves, why the FBI's rat isn't a bad thing, and how fake news is impacting whistleblowing. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Facebook's ongoing hemorrhage of user information is a gift that keeps on giving for the criminal underworld. Typically, these gifts are confined to the online realm, but in a recent case that came to light in Scotland, the social network provided an opportunity for petty thieves everywhere to harvest geolocation data on the whereabouts of personal belongings. Here's ISMG's executive editor, data breach today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz with the details. Facebook has fixed a flaw in its digital marketplace that could have been abused to identify the location of a seller and, by extension, their goods. The flaw would have allowed thieves who didn't want to pay for high-ticket items, such as high-performance bicycles, to know where the items were located and try to steal them instead. The security vulnerability is an example of the challenge faced by organizations as they attempt to safeguard users and minimize the amount of personal data that they expose. This flaw involved Marketplace, which is available via Facebook's website as well as mobile app. Facebook promised Marketplace sellers that when they selected their location, it would only ever be shown in an approximate fashion to potential buyers. But anyone who viewed a marketplace listing received a web page back that under the hood contained JavaScript object notation or JSON. And these JSON responses didn't just have general information about where the object was located. Instead, they contained precise latitude and longitude coordinates, accurate down to within a few meters, as well as postcodes. The flaw was discovered and reported to Facebook by John Moss, an information security consultant at Scotland-based Seven Elements. In his spare time, Moss runs Stolen Bikes UK, a free website that enables anyone who's had their bike stolen to report the theft and advises them on the steps they can take to try and recover it. Moss says he was looking at ways that the marketplace data might be scrapable when he found that instead of returning generalized location information, it was instead providing seller's exact location. Moss told me that he found the flaw on February 10th and says it affected at least UK marketplace listings created using Facebook's mobile app. After replicating the problem, however, he says that his first two attempts to get Facebook to fix the issue were dismissed because the social network said it didn't consider this to be a security problem. After reaching a contact who works for Facebook, however, Moss says Facebook finally acknowledged the flaw, fixed it, and also gave him a $5,000 bug bounty. The security problem identified by Moss is not academic. Indeed, do an online search for Strava theft, and you'll find numerous instances in which fitness aficionados who post their bicycle outings online find that thieves have come and used it as a way to raid their garage or shed, stealing their high-performance bicycles. One British bicycle theft victim lost $15,000 worth of high-performance bikes last year. He told local newspapers he thought the thief must be someone he knew. But his local bike shop told him that anyone who's quick and who logs their rides on Strava is potentially a target for thieves who know it often leads to higher-end equipment. But digital marketplace using workout fanatics aren't the only ones at risk. Last year, Strava got into hot water because it took users' workout maps and aggregated them online. These global maps revealed secret facilities 
as well as data that could be used to identify members of the armed forces serving in high-risk regions. In the bigger picture, both incidents highlight the risk posed by organizations that fail to appropriately minimize user data, as well as the harm that can result. So it's no surprise that the EU's General Data Protection Regulation requires organizations that collect or process Europeans' personal details to practice data minimization. Namely, organizations are required to only use as much data as is required to successfully accomplish a given task. Facebook, for example, could have only ever stored a seller's approximate location, but it didn't do so. For organizations that must comply with GDPR, the now-fixed location security flaw at Facebook is a reminder that less often means more. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. A recent report by the FBI based on complaints to the Internet Crime Complaint Center, or IC3, provides depressing reading, with reported fraud losses for 2018 reaching $2.7 billion, nearly doubling those of the previous year. However, the FBI has deployed a new tool in its arsenal against crime, the RAT. Here's ISMG's Managing Editor, Security and Technology, Jeremy Kirk, to explain. The FBI's latest report into the state of internet crime is not surprising. The number of frauds, e-hustles, and social engineering frauds continue to proliferate. But the scale is astounding. The Internet Crime Complaint Center, or IC3, accepts reports of fraud from around the world. Last year, those losses tallied $2.7 billion, nearly double over the year before. As much as it may seem fighting internet crime is like pushing the tide with the broom, there is a bright spot. Last year, the IC3 created the Recovery Asset Team, or RAT. Its goal is to contact financial institutions quickly to freeze pending wire transfers before they're final. Much internet-related crime eventually intersects with banking systems. So while it may be hard to prevent scams, there is a touch point where ill gains can be recovered. But time is tight, and swiftly contacting banks is key before stolen funds are withdrawn. In just an 11-month period, the IC3 reports that the RAT dealt with more than 1,000 incidents, causing losses of more than 257 million. Of that, the RAT achieved a 75% recovery rate, or more than $192 million. The IC3's report gives four examples where the RAT successfully interceded within fraudulent transfers, two of which involved real estate transactions, but all four examples fell into the pot of BEC scams or business email compromise. That type of scam involves fraudsters who compromise email accounts and patiently lurk, trying to spot opportunities to get in the middle of transactions. Last year, BEC fraud had the highest loss figure of all types of fraud, amounting to $1.2 billion. Victims are easily duped because the request for money comes from an email account that is familiar. By changing the account and routing numbers for an expected transaction, money is whisked to fraudsters. Then, it's a race between those who have been scammed to try and stop the transfer and those on the other side trying to cash out. It's encouraging news that the RAT group and other law enforcement authorities are making progress in the fight against fraud, but don't expect the bad activity to subside. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Finally, this week I got the opportunity to interview one of the most significant whistleblowers of recent years, Everett Stern. You may not be immediately familiar with the name, 
But you may well remember what he did. For at least half a decade, Britain's HSBC bank helped to wash hundreds of billions of dollars for drug mobs, including Mexico's Sinaloa drug cartel, as well as move money for terrorist organisations linked to Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah, and for Russian gangsters. Everett was pivotal in uncovering this huge fraud and money laundering scheme, which among other things resulted in HSBC in 2012 being fined $1.9 billion, the largest fine to date by the US Justice Department. Everett will be the keynote speaker at the ICMG Fraud and Breach Summit in Chicago on May 14th, and I wanted to get a preview of what to expect before the event. I asked him what he thought about whistleblowing in today's era of 24-hour news cycles, and whether the perception of fake news is making whistleblowing something of a dying art. Here's Everett. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think people in general are, are getting very confused as to what whistleblowing really is. <laughs> and uh, there's a big difference, for instance, between what I did and what Julia Assange does and what Edward Snowden did. For instance, I have the same classification as Edward Snowden or as Julian Assange as, as being you know, a, a big whistleblower when that's not true. Because what I did was for national security and I didn't profit or I, I didn't, you know, release, you know, classified information or, you know, cause harm to the United States. What I did was I, I risked everything to protect the United States. And uh, I'm a very different type of whistleblower, you could say. That's why I don't really consider myself a whistleblower. But, you know, the 24-hour news cycle that, that, that you mentioned, it doesn't allow for people to digest what information is being released. So things are becoming a flash in the pan. And that's not good because, for instance, the situation with HSBC was a flash. I view it as a flash in the pan for a lot of people. And it's not. It's still going on. Uh, in fact, I was recently called back into federal building uh, a couple months ago to meet with the FBI and the prosecutors in the Southern District of New York. And this is not over. <laughs> so there's definitely not uh, a flash in the pan. And and again, there's a very big difference. And this is what people have to understand between whistleblowers like myself and people like Julian Assange and Edward, and Edward Snowden. Big, big difference. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time. <laughs>